Hello, and welcome to the Testimony Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Brandi Loper. Today's guest is Lindsay Merrill, and she will be sharing how Jesus pursued her, exposed the lies she began believing at a young age, and slowly began replacing them with his truth. This is a story of how Jesus made beauty from ashes. So thanks for joining us today, Lindsay. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm great. I'm so glad you're here, and I can't wait to hear your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with Jesus? Okay, so I am a mom of three boys. I have a 24-year-old son, I have a 14-year-old son, and I have a six-year-old son, Brennan, Caden, and Phoenix. And I'm married to a wonderful man. I grew up in the church, and I've been walking with the Lord, really walking with the Lord for, let's see, about seven or eight years now. So you said you grew up in the church. So did you always have a relationship with him? Yeah. So I don't think I ever had a relationship with him. I believed in him. That belief was really strong, but I don't think that I knew how to carry on a relationship with God. The relationship piece happened about seven or eight years ago. Oh, okay. Great. So tell us all about it. Okay. So yeah, like I said, I grew up in the church. My parents were heavily involved. And when I was about 11, my sister was born and she was very high needs. So what little energy they had left over, it was pretty much eaten up, which was just a really hard time for me in that phase of life. And I think at that moment, I kind of made some agreements about getting my needs met. That wasn't available to me. So I think that really affected the way I viewed God and the relationship aspect of trusting Jesus. And then I kind of just fell into the wrong crowd. I started experimenting using drugs and alcohol. I think I was about 16 years old and just stopped caring. Really. I don't know what happened. I didn't have dreams. I didn't have hopes. I just kind of got swallowed up into a little bit of a depression. And I think I was 16 when my parents drug tested me and I had some stuff in my system and they put me into rehab. So I went to rehab and I met my oldest son's dad there. You know, he just was super charismatic and very adoring. And I think just the deficit that I had for attention. I really just kind of fell for him and I decided that I was going to lose my virginity to him. And two months later I was pregnant. And so at that point I was 17 years old. I made the decision to keep the baby, which was really difficult because I had a lot of different people trying to talk me into different things. But in my heart, that was the only option. And so right after I turned 18 years old, I had Brennan and it was great, but super, super hard. His dad was still actively using. And so we saw him through a few different rehabs and then off to Brownsville, Pensacola for a revival out there. He was also kind of like the same type of believer I was. He grew up in the church, believed in God, but didn't walk with him. So this was an important turning point for him. And he really came back just on fire for the Lord, free from his addiction. But then when the focus wasn't on his alcoholism anymore, I've had some time to focus on what I needed. It was the first time I kind of 
realized that I was kind of a mess, that I'd been super codependent and just kind of surviving for years and hadn't really fully spent any time learning how to grow up or figure out who I was. And I had developed an eating disorder. I ended up ending the relationship just to, I guess, spend some time working on myself because everything felt very heavy at that point. And I thought I was doing the right thing, which I, you know, I still do. But he started drinking again, probably right after that. And six months later, died driving drunk, which was devastating, completely devastating. We were we had been together for five years on and off, but mostly on. The hardest part about it was that I just felt completely and utterly alone. It's hard enough to be a single teenage mother, but it's even harder when you're just feel like you don't have a partner in it. You feel ostracized anyways, too, because there's no place for you. I'm sure there is now. I know that now, cultures now, we have communities. It's easier to find. But back then, it was the college and career group really wasn't my jam. You know, like young marrieds didn't want me in there, you know. (laughs) So I just felt out of place in church. I'm sure I put a lot of my own insecurities on what I thought the judgments of other people were, that they thought less of me. And so I just kind of hardened up. And it was kind of like, I don't care what they think of me type of mentality that just separated me from the body of Christ. So as that went on, I just kind of made a lot of more independent decisions. It was the romantic in me looking for that feeling of being special and being loved and having attention. And so it was always usually in the form of a relationship. And looking back, it was funny because it didn't take much. It was just somebody's interest. And I'd be like, you love me? I felt so special and I didn't really ever go through the thought process. Well, do I like this person? (laughs) It wasn't something that I put too much thought into. And then I'd wake up down the road and be like, who am I with? But yeah, so I got into a couple of other relationships and I have this big giant void for love and relationship. And I end up meeting a guy who moves from where he's living to San Diego to be with me. And it's all very sudden and grand. And it feels a little too sudden. Like I'm not completely comfortable with it, but this hole is so big. And I think at the core of who I am, I had this romantic heart waiting for that pursuit. That's what I was craving was a pursuit. So as he started to pursue me, I'm getting filled up, but it still feels really a little off. Over the course of time, it doesn't happen overnight, but he starts to become a little bit more obsessed with me, where I would get upset about something in the relationship and he would not let me leave. If I wanted to leave, he would take away my my phone and my keys and it just hold me hostage, started to really attack a lot of the issues that I was dealing with, my insecurities of why I was alone. And he would speak into those, like, nobody's going to love you like I love you. I'm trying to keep you safe, Lindsay. You're not thinking right. All these different lies. So I'm like, gosh, is this true? I mean, he is staying here with me. You know, I'm like desperately afraid of losing somebody else. It just got really confusing. So over the course of two years, it gets worse and worse. And we ended up getting engaged at one point. I remember going on a walk and just saying to myself, I I don't feel loved. And I think that that was a big aha moment, a big God breakthrough for me, where I was able to distinguish that that wasn't love, that I was feeling. So he progressively became more and more abusive. I'm still super confused. 
desperately afraid of telling anybody in my life what's going on because I wasn't ready to make the decision to completely cut off the relationship because it still was meeting a need for me of that person not leaving. He wasn't going anywhere. I mean, he wouldn't go anywhere. And it was as sick as it was, it was, it was very, it was very hard to let go of. One night I was just lying in bed and tears just started streaming down my face. And I cried out to God and I said, God, I've made a complete mess of my life and you're going to have to unravel this for me because I can't do it. I don't have the strength to do this. So I'm at my bottom. I'm just crying out to him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I had the courage to step out and open up to, there were three different people that I ended up opening up to. One of them was a guy I had dated before briefly, but highly respected. And he randomly sent me a text message and asked how the engagement was going. And I said, you know, it's on hold right now, but it's a long story. And he texted back and said, well, if you ever need to talk, let me know. And I texted back almost immediately. Actually, I do because I had nobody I could talk to about it. So we met that week. I just opened up to him because he was not part of my life and he just felt super safe. So when I told him what was going on, very casually and disconnected, because that's where I was. I wasn't connected to all of it, really. I knew it was I wasn't happy, but there wasn't a big emotional response to it. It was an appropriate response. So I remember him being surprised that I had found myself in that situation. At the end of everything, what he said to me, I will never forget because it was so gentle and empowering. He said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you're going to make the right choice and you're going to be happy. And because it I think him saying that made me feel so safe with him that I couldn't, we continued to meet. It was like therapy, like we'd sit and talk and I could tell him everything that was going on. And he was just there for me to listen to me. I think the biggest piece out of that, like he wasn't trying to be your savior. Yeah, he wasn't. Which is awesome. But it was so like God, how God is, how he is such a gentleman. He's not pushing his way into our lives. He's waiting for us to trust him and surrender. And just, I had never experienced it that way. I feel like for me, I had attached a lot of shame to God. I attached a lot of judgment to God. I didn't attach those soft and gentle things. So I'm meeting with him every week during this time. And I hadn't made the decision whether or not I was going to leave this other guy or not. I'm just kind of meeting with him on the side, really trying to work through some stuff. And And it was kind of like a friendship though, right? Total friendship. Yep. And then I decide to open up to another friend who, again, asked me how the engagement was going. She was also a client of mine. And I said, well, it's kind of on hold. And she's like, what? What's going on? And I said, well, you know what? He he got physical with me. And she just looked at me. I'll never forget it. Like grabbed my hand, looked me in the eyes, and she goes, Lindsay, leave. And she goes, do you see this scar on my forehead? She goes, my ex-husband bashed my head into the marble floor at her home. She had a safe house built into her home because of the trauma that had she'd had to endure through that relationship. It was just like a big wake up call. And she's like, I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll help you whatever you need. If you need me to, if you need me to wait for the locksmith to change the keys on the, on the house, what do you need me to do? And I was like, I'm fine. You know, I don't need anything. She's like, I'll pay your rent. If you need to get them out, what do you need? And I'm like, no, you know, I'll get another job. I know totally God will provide, but I didn't really believe that. I really thought I was going to have to do all the hard work 
she asked me if I'd ever heard the story of the man that's on a sinking ship and a tugboat comes by and asks, hey, man, do you need any help? And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And then another somebody comes by and same thing, you know, three different people come by and ask if he needs help. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And then he drowns and he gets to heaven and he asks God why he didn't save him. And he's like, well, gosh, I sent three different people. And it was like a wake up call that I really needed. And I think it was that shift for me, the beginning of the shift to realize that I did need people in my life and that people could meet my needs. So it was really hard for me because I had a lot of pride in my independence, being a single mom, being able to provide for my kids and getting to where I'd gotten by myself. And so a few days later, I swallow my pride and I accept her offer. And that put the gears in motion for me. Like I felt accountable. Like, okay, I actually have to follow through. So I've had now two people in my life that I've opened up to and I feel an accountability there. And I needed that. I could, I couldn't get there on my own. And then I opened up to another friend who she grew up in a house of abuse and I remember it, but I didn't really connect to it when I was telling her. And she would rattle off statistics to me. And she gave me the keys to her house on the beach so I could be separate from him. And she, remember, came over so that I had somebody with me to file the police report so I could get the restraining order. And it was like the first time I had like a little community of people around me. And it was just like working kind of like a machine. And I knew I'm like, this is, this is God. This is God. We had a car together, me and this man. And I, it was under my name and he was making the payments and he calls me and he tells me that his employees crashed the car. And I'm just like, shoot. And then I get off the phone and I'm sitting there in my car in the parking lot somewhere. And I'm like, wait a second, the car has crashed. The bank pays off the, you know, insurance. It it just, it it was like all of a sudden this aha moment. God was literally unraveling it for me. That was my prayer. It was like, I need you to unravel this for me. The cars crashed. The the insurance is going to take care of this. This is cutting ties. And so I started seeing God do that in, in big ways. This woman was helping me get out, get him out. So I was able to file the restraining order. Everything was just in motion. He doesn't go completely away. He calls like 60 times a day. He sends flowers to my work every two days to the point where I had to ask the flower shop to stop accepting them. I'm like, I don't want them. If, if you know, you want the money from them, send them somewhere else, but you need to tell them I don't want them. So it wasn't easy. It was really hard. But over the course of that time, I had, like I said, God had just surrounded me with this little community and Troy and I began to fall in love. This is the guy that you were talking to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is my friend. I mean, he was the man who he slept on our couch because the police had advised that I had a male sleep on the couch during the whole process. My ex had tried to break in a couple of times. So it made me feel a lot more comfortable. And in that process, the kids got to know him way sooner than I would with a normal relationship. And Caden fell completely in love with him. So you had two kids at, during this yes. whole time. Yeah. Young. So. Well, they were nine years apart. What were their ages? Yeah, Brennan was 16 and Caden was a six, round six. Yeah. And neither of them knew any of this was going on because it was all done kind of behind closed doors. When I finally made the decision to follow through and get him out, I remember taking Brennan aside because 
he was 16 and letting him know what was going on. And that was really, really hard. My main objective was to let him know that I didn't just end relationships because that's what I felt like he perceived. But I think he owned a lot of the responsibility of protecting me. And it was really hard for him to kind of digest as a 16-year-old becoming a man. So the kids are falling in love with him. I'm falling in love with him. We're falling in love. And we end up talking and I find out that he doesn't believe in God. And I just totally put the brakes on the relationship because I was petrified of making another choice apart from God. God had come in in this big extravagant way and showed up for me. And now I'm like, this is what, this is what it's supposed to be like. I can't do any Lindsay by myself. I actually got a tattoo on my arm. It says Deo Valente. And it means God willing. Cause it was like, no more Lindsay's will. That's how much I needed reminder. And he's super frustrated, but there's nothing that he can do. And he's like, I, you know, I can't fake belief in God. And I'm like, and good. Cause it made me respect him even more. And I remember at one point saying to him that I saw God in him more than I saw God in most Christians. He represented God to me in that time so, so much that it, it shifted a lot for me, but I couldn't do it. So I put the brakes on and I invited him to come to church with us. So he started coming to the church with, with us every Sunday. And I remember one Saturday night, I hear from the Lord and he says, he's the one for you. I'll take care of his heart. And I don't tell Troy, but we go to church the next day. And I felt the spirit of the Lord just all over us. It was just this peace, like I'd never felt it before. He made the decision that day to give his life to Jesus. He's like, I can't call things coincidences anymore. What I've seen you go through, what God is doing in my own life. So he gave his life to God. It just felt like all of a sudden things were falling into place for me. And it was like God was changing my ideas of who he was, just shifting them massively, that he had good things in store for me that I could trust what he had for me. And I think that that was the biggest lie that got in when I was really young, is that I just didn't, I, that I couldn't trust how he provided. I couldn't trust what he wanted for me. So he was restoring trust, and I, I haven't been able to look back ever since. It was, I think, the, that, the verse that really stood out to me was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it, that everything just clicked in that way. I'm like, I don't want to make another choice apart from you, God. Now, as far as your relationship with the church, obviously you go to church now. So what does that look like for you? Because before you felt you were kind of ostracized from the church, judged by the church. And so how has God restored that relationship for you? Yeah. So slowly he's called me to the body. And I think that that was the beginning of it was surrounding me with those people was showing me how he actually has designed us to operate, that he works in and through us, through each other. I'm an introvert, so it's a little hard for me. And I had formed a lot of judgments on the church. So it's taken some time, but I just started accepting invitations. First, it was an invitation to mops. And I went and did that for a little bit. And then it was an invitation. And this was major baby steps, but it was what I could bite off. I had to ease myself in. And then it was being on the women's breakfast leadership team, which was once a month. So 
like I can handle that. And then it was a small group and my small group has been really transformative for me. Just really getting to be vulnerable with women that I can trust and seeing the heart of God through them has just opened my eyes even more to his plan for us, how he designed the body. We are his literal body. Working together is how he accomplishes his mission. It's not just me over here. And that's where I had been for so long. So drawing me back in is the completion of I think what he wants to do now, obviously I'm not done. I've got a long way to go, but I see it now. I trust him now. You and your husband have a child because you have your third child yeah. and there's significance in his name, correct? Do you yes. want to tell us about that? Yeah. So we named him Phoenix and the meaning of that is beauty rises from the ashes. Well, yeah, because he brought you these three people that started breaking down these walls He started showing you who he is and what the love of God really looks like, right? Yeah. And gives you a man that doesn't want to control you and is obsessed with you, but wants you to be Lindsay and respect you and treat you like the woman that you should be treated like. And so to be able to experience that kind of love, which you had never before, started introducing you to what the love of Jesus is like and the relationship with him. So he's, and he puts these great people in your life to start showing you that you need people and just really redeeming you, which is awesome. Yeah. It's been beautiful. And it's, it makes me wonder why I fought, I fought for so long, but I, but I know why it was, it was the lies that I was believing. It was Satan's plan to keep me down. Yeah. Alone. Alone. Which is what he likes to do. Yeah. This is so great, Lindsay. I'm so happy you shared this with us. And if there was anything that you would want to say, there was somebody out there that's experiencing maybe the loneliness or being in an abusive relationship or believing lies about who God really is. What would you say to them? I would say, give him a chance. All of us, you know, to be human is to suffer. We all have our hearts broken in many different ways, but God is real. He's not a fairy tale. He is trustworthy. And what he has for you is so much better than you can imagine. Like you're holding on to dirt compared to the gem he wants to present to you. I don't know if that's the right analogy. That is. Thank you so much for sharing today, Lindsay. (laughs) It was so great to hear your story and all that God's done for you and so encouraging just to experience that love. And he gave you that pursuit that you were looking for and these big grand gestures and brought beauty from ashes, which is amazing. Thank you, Brandy. So I like to ask our guests to close in prayer. So if you don't mind doing that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share what you have done in my life. I pray, God, that this blesses somebody out there that needs to hear that they're believing lies and that what you have is so much greater. I pray that that person right now, the heart, the soil of their heart would just begin to soften and that they would just ask to receive you. I thank you, God, for all you're doing, all you're going to continue to do. And I thank you that you knock our socks off the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more information or to connect with today's guest, you can email us at info at Go to our website at www.thetestimonyrevival.com 
or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Testimony Revival. We'll be back next week with a new guest and another amazing story of how Jesus transforms lives.